Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. This is the flagship podcast of Light Reading, the telecom industry's most important outlet for daily news and analysis. I am Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading, the ringmaster of this circus, directing your attention to the publication's most daring acts and setting your expectations accordingly. I am joined by my colleague and fellow editor, Kelsey Zeiser, she of the 5G Exchange, where she is hard at work curating and assembling a vast collection of marvels and curiosities in the 5G universe. But what you need to know now, dear listener, is that we have an interview planned, and we will introduce our guest in just a moment. But first, Kelsey, how the heck are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Phil? I'm okay. I am, uh, uh, you know, getting back in the groove of the new year and the new week, yeah. and I... Uh, any resolutions? I, I do. I, uh, the resolution was not, not not to make any resolutions. <laughs> Keep the like expectations <laughs> low. Yeah. Um, did you happen to watch, and I only bring this up because I am really tired today for having stayed up late watching football. Did you watch the college football national championship this week? I didn't watch the sports ball, but my husband did. Uh, and I think he said uh, Clemson won and go Tigers and something about Joe Burrows. <laughs> he was trying to give me some <laughs> some pointers. He did give you some pointers. I can tell. Yes, you, you were. It, it, sounded, uh, it sounded like he was passing you notes. Yeah. LSU won the game. Uh, they oh. are the LSU uh, the LSU Tigers. So I think we had we had two different types of Tigers playing. So that must have been uh, confusing for people. Uh, joining but um anyway yeah no it's it uh, the game wore on into the evening and the, the latest part of the late evening and so that's why i'm a bit slow on the uptake today but hopefully that won't uh that won't dampen uh our ability to carry this interview off with uh with some amount of uh uh Whatever. See, I'm already forgetting words. That's good. Uh, so our guest today is the CTO of NTT. And before that, he spent 21 years as the CTO of Dimension Data. And he's here because he recently penned a blog outlining some of the most critical trends that will shape the business technology landscape throughout 2020. We are going to discuss a couple of those trends right about now. Uh, please welcome to the podcast, uh, Etienne Renica. Renica, sorry. So thank Oh, thank you, and Kelsey. Thank you very much, and uh, happy 2020 to you guys. Thanks. Happy 2020 to you as well. And uh, um, I, I uh, read with interest your, uh, uh, I, you know, I don't really get into predictions pieces as much, but because you happen to have a job where you sit in a uh, an area where you can kind of communicate with a really huge uh, cross section of different enterprises. I was I was very curious as to how much um, uh, some of the things that we cover were going to uh, show up in your uh, list of uh, critical trends and predictions for the year. Um, I guess one of the the first things I have you know a question about is is how you view five G as a technology catalyst for the coming year. You know, sort of what the um, what what you're expecting from 5G and what you think the knock-on effect of you know some of these networks uh, getting going uh, is going to be on on the uh, on the business technology landscape? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, so you know, the first thing just to reflect, I mean, your your comment on predictions. I share the views. I mean, there's so many um, predictions. We try and keep it quite what I call applied. 
Um, you know, so the, the way we look at or the way our approach to predictions is more to poll and to review what our clients are doing out there in the industry. So we've got about 10,000 clients that we poll and we sort of look and out of that we start compiling what I call more of an applied view of predictions. Um, and so it's a little bit different to, I think, you know, just general themes in the market. Um, but the good news is, I mean, I think they're quite reflective. Um, and coming straight back to, to your, your question on 5G, you know, there's no doubt that 5G has got the industry really talking. Um, it holds lots of potential. Um, and before I give you my view on it, I think just let me put some context to, to the view. The view, our views typically go hand in hand with use cases. We find that it's much better than applied sense to say, well, what is the use case for this? Um, and then, you know, based on the use case, it actually starts making a lot more sense as to, you know, wh where, what we, the momentum we might see or the investments we might see or even the speed that we might see happen behind it. Um, so when I look at 5G, you know, if you look at the evolution of just you know, 3G, 4G, you know, now to 5G, um, that provides obviously an extension to the mobile operators. But, you know, I think with the drivers for a lot of these things um, is today is a lot more around extending, you know, the high, the high bandwidth applications. And um, if you think about use cases that people talk about for 5G, it's that backhaul for the autonomous car, you know, or, 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 or similar type of applications. So with that little bit of context, um, you know, if I look at 5G, I think um, you know, 5G obviously is that next extension. But I think when you start looking at what's going on on the edge um, and, and how 5G will play, there, there's a couple of realities that we are um, you know, we, 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 we're tracking, uh, particularly around 5G, you know, that you've got the two frequency bands, the, the lower band of the like six, six gig and below. And then you've got the upper band with the real, the real bandwidth is that, that sort of 24 to 28 gig range. I think it varies a little bit by, by region or country, but most of it ends up in that 26 gig range. Um, and of course, the challenge there is, um, is the millimeter bandwidth or, you know, where, or the wavelength where it's, it is so conducive to uh, corrupt corruption, um, corruption or disruption of the, of the wave signals or the RS of signals that we are a little bit concerned. Um, I think, you know, the, the assessments out there in the market indicates that for you, for you to have a feasible uh, environmental network extension, you, you're looking at quite an increase in density of base stations, so you know, up to 10x depending on you know, where you are in the cities, etc., uh, due to the penetration of, of, the, of, this, of the, the RF. So that's a bit of concern around the business case. You know, a lot of mobile operators, I think, will be challenged to find that business case in the short run. Um, you know, so I think those are the challenges we face. Um, I think we will see early applications where it's clearer. When I say clearer, we don't have the, the obstacles of penetration in our way. So you know, maybe mm -hmm. that's where you are starting to look at what we're doing as an NTT in, 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 in around the Olympics for 2020. Yeah, we look, looking at the open, den, uh, open areas, we need more density. We're starting to apply the 5G there. Um, at the same time, I want to just sort of say there's a couple of other things we're also tracking that sort of you know, starts getting interesting on the edge, which is Wi-Fi 6, more from an enterprise perspective. Um, mm -hmm. We like what we see in Wi-Fi 6 as an as a edge technology. Um, you know, literally, you know, if you look at the counter to 5G and, and the spectrum challenges, uh, you know, two, the 2.4 gig range has been cleaned up. That's where Wi-Fi 6 operates. Um, we like the fact that you, know, you get about a 40% improvement on bandwidth on, on Wi-Fi uh, wi 5, not 
purely because of the new the, the new uh, modulation techniques or encryption techniques. So it's not messing with RF. Uh, we like the fact that there's more sub-channels, so you you can you're much better in 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 high density areas, like stadiums perhaps, or like you know large uh, concentrated uh, user user areas. And we like the fact that it's a lot more optimized for the battery uh, battery lifetime of the underlying device. So so mm-hmm. both of those become interesting for us. Uh, I think we'll see probably faster adoption of Wi-Fi 6 than we would see 5G. Um, and I think they'll complement each other in the long term. Um, there might be a couple other things that you might, I mean, if you're interested, I mean, there's also, I think, edge processing that starts playing on the edge. Um, I don't know if you want me just to cover a view on that for a, for a quick uh, a quick perspective. Well, hold hold one sec. Let's do this. Um, let's, uh, uh, I want to give... Kelsey, a chance to jump in, but before uh, before I do, let's go ahead and take a break early. Uh, we and 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 we'll uh, come right back and get into uh, yeah edge processing, what's changing there, and uh, and and then uh, you know and then some other uh, questions uh, as well. So uh, we will be right back on the Light Reading Podcast. Welcome back to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm joined by Kelsey Zeiser, and our guest today is Etienne Renika from uh, NTT. He's the CTO of NTT. And uh, Kelsey, why don't you uh, take it from here? Sure. So we've been talking a lot about 5G and and what that means for disruptive technologies in 2020. And Etienne, I also noticed you wrote recently about IoT and audiovisual sensors. If you could tell us a little bit more about that and what what are some of the biggest impacts that you see 5G having on IoT and smart cities over the next year? Yeah, so Kelsey, I mean, so if you look at IoT, I think if you look at at large scale, increasingly what we have, I think what most people have, have gathered or learned is when you get into large scale IoT to censor up uh, you know, these type of areas. So if you take a smart city, for instance, you want to censor up a smart city, uh, it becomes quite expensive, onerous, and operationally quite challenging. And so what we are starting to see and use a lot more is, um, you know, audio and visual technologies um, acting as large-scale sensors, if you if you want to call it that. So think about, you know, um, high-definition high sound. If you record a sound, uh, you're monitoring sound, you're processing sound, you, you can match the sound of breaking glass, um, you can pattern match, you can you know, pattern match um, the sound mm. of a gunshot, and, and you can, with sound, you can, if you place your, your microphones uh, in the right triangulation, for instance, you can triangulate and you can determine where, where those sounds come from. And then you can, you know, take actions on that. Um, you can, you know, uh, summon the, the emergency, the first responders. And that would actually be... Uh, really helpful in my neighborhood because we have a we have a neighborhood listserv and there's constant emails of was that fireworks or was that a gunshot? <laughs> so uh, yeah, that would be really helpful. <laughs> it is really is large scale. You know, you as mm-hmm. opposed to trying to censor up everything. I mean, same with breaking glass. I mean, well, the other thing is is the visual side. If you take um, you know the the, the the cost drop in in high definition uh, video. 
um, to do you know, object isolation, object recognition, and then pattern matching, and then taking action, it's the same thing. You know, we've actually done some interesting work in Africa, in particular in the connected conservation space, where we're using thermal images to try and, um, you know, try and curtail things like rhino poaching and, and try and protect a species. And we've been highly successful using thermal images and pattern matching and then you know, taking corrective or responsive actions on that. Um, and we're actually doing similar things in the city of Las Vegas between NDT and the city. We, we've got a, a large-scale hmm. smart city project going. So these things are all actually underway, and, uh, and it's really paying dividends. Uh, it really has a massive cost benefit to mm-hmm. try and censor up a city, for instance. So, so you, hopefully those use cases start making sense. Yeah, Does there's the... definitely a lot of interesting use cases, and sounds like it, you know, anywhere from Las Vegas to an elephant sanctuary. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's, the is... latter is, is interesting. You know, we've got we we've actually been highly successful around rhino. Rhino as a species is actually endangered because of poaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, thermal, right. the type of pattern matching we do with the thermals, I mean, there's lots of sensors we use, vibration sensors and, and, and motion sensors, but the thermals are interesting because you can pattern match down to the point where you can detect um, you know, whether the individual is carrying a rifle, even sometimes based on the, on the outline or the, the profile of, the, of the, the shape we get, the thermal shape, we can say, well, that's an AK-47. Um, and then you know dispatch the the responders. Mm. So wow. it really is um, very very accurate, and it's it's very uh, it has high potential, I think, particularly on on the IoT side. What's the the payoff for five G in that kind of scenario where you're having to I guess I guess transmitting the high resolution readouts or images would be one thing. I guess maybe some of the um, uh, some of the latency involved would be quicker too, right? So I, like as soon as something yeah. crosses a threshold, you'd be able to see as opposed to having to wait. So it's that classic, you're right on. I mean, so it's, uh, so it's, it's that classic backhaul. I mean, if you start getting into high definition or even thermal images, for instance, in this case, um, you've got to actually now get the backhaul right because otherwise it's got to be real time. Um, you know, mm-hmm. for audio, it's obviously not as intensive. I mean, you, the, the bandwidth requirements is much lower. But, yeah, so you're gonna, you need that backhaul. So 5G can really play there as long as, again, depending on the environment. You know, if you don't have to, you, you can't have too many obstructions in the way because then it becomes a bit expensive again because then your, your investment goes into the density of, say, your, your base stations or your repeaters as opposed to the other side of it. Um, I think that sort of bleeds over a little bit into what we're starting to see with edge computing. Um, you know, what we are starting to see is that the edge computing now is starting to hold a lot more promise to reduce, to put it this way, to do a lot more of that actual processing with reduced data set on the edge um, and get close enough to then, you know, contain the, 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 the processing and even the, the outcomes on the edge and then use the backhaul for really the, the, the actions, initiate the actions only. Um, and so that's where I say, well, well, we look at the edge, it's it's literally 5G, it's Wi-Fi 6, and it's edge processing that we start to look as, you know, look as a combination that's going to impact, um, you know, how we see what's happening on the edge. Yeah, and the processing, I guess, doesn't, uh, that's going to sort of speed up and become more influential almost no matter what the connectivity uh, mechanism is. So like even 4G with, with edge processing, you know, an evolved edge 
uh, edge supporting it, I, that, I think that's still going to help businesses out, correct? Yeah, so, so let me give you another, another sort of use case. So we do a lot of work with um, a cycle race, the Tour de France, where we mm-hmm. do a lot of IT, we put sensors on the bikes, we do, I mean, it's just, there's a, we, we basically driving the digital transformation of cycling um, as with the Tour de France as a wedge. Now, I'm not, that's a fascinating project where there's all sorts of things and all sorts of the new technologies that we're applying. But we try to use edge computing there in a very interesting way. Um, yeah, if you take race efficient, if you take a cycling race like the Tour de France, uh, you're in the mountains, say in the Alps or the Pyrenees. I mean, you have no connectivity. Yeah, and, and even where you have connectivity, you have a million spectators sending you know, photographs back to their mates. So, so they're totally congested. Um, and so what we start to do to, to provide the race officials um, a better visibility of what's going on in the race so that they can make accurate referee calls during the, the, the course of a race. Um, we've got a, a, a subset, a sub-data set, um, and a container stack uh, or a, 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 a data analytics stack and an a, a AI stack that mm-hmm. we run on a container architecture on a laptop inside a car where we actually get a 99.5% match to that same stack running at scale on the cloud. And so from that perspective, you know, we, we, we tap in on some of the IoT signals as they come off the riders. We actually do a full stack edge processing. We have enough information there to conclude uh, the, the granularity or the fidelity so that the race referees can make accurate decisions. And you know, in that case, we, we've eliminated the requirement for backhaul totally by using edge processing, and then you can batch it up at the end of the race. So from that perspective, if you start looking at that and, and, and you extrapolate that, uh, say, to autonomous cars, you suddenly get to a point where you say, well, if you can put edge processing, if you can take that concept of saying run a full stack on a you know, container architecture on a laptop or a couple of you know, edge, edge processes in a car, uh, you know, and then you, 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 you really can shape the requirement for backhaul and then suddenly 4G might make sense or 5G can be used, but it is not reliant on that connection. So it's an interesting combination. It seems like it would also be uh, really beneficial, I imagine, for uh, security reasons, maybe, um, you know, an enterprise reviewing security footage quickly. What what are some other um important use cases for edge processing in addition to the uh, autonomous cars? Yeah, well, I think you can, I mean, let's, let's stick to your example there. If you think about back to, you know, audiovisual um, sensors um, to get sort of, you know, to tap into that, that IoT as an, or that, that angle, you can do edge processing and do your, your, your object recognition or object isolation, object recognition, um, and potentially even, um, your 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 action your action that you want to initiate you can probably do that on the edge and then basically all you need the backhaul for is to initiate that action you know to say well now you know let's contact the central control to mm-hmm. dispatch you know the first responder so you can really start using that you can do that maybe as a as an edge nodal point where you're starting to combine some of the the, the, the different technologies um, and I think if you if you look at that as a, as a use case, I mean, you can extrapolate that into just about any industry. I mean, if you think mm-hmm. about, you know, think about high image, um, high image processing for uh, in the health services. I mean, same thing. You, know, you can actually start distributing that processing and things can happen a lot quicker. 
uh, even if you take about how doctors exchange x-rays. I mean, there's a lot of potential for edge processing to make an impact and make it much more accessible to more people. Uh, particularly if you look at, you know, there's, oh, there's, there's that hole, if you, there's a rich vein that you can go down. I mean, I'm thinking about how you start to bring, um, you know, connect medical devices. I think things like stethoscopes and, and those type of things. And how do you bring that back into the, the data world and to start getting the benefit of, you know, uh, maybe it's large-scale data repositories of, you know, heart sounds when a doctor starts saying, well, I'm using my stethoscope, um, and in real time, can we please bat and match, you know, what I'm hearing to a, a database that gives me guidance on a heart mm-hmm. condition, for instance. I mean, mm-hmm. all those things become. Um, so I think this combination of, I really want to keep Wi-Fi 6 in the mix here, but Wi-Fi 6, uh, 5G and edge processing with uh, the latest technologies, I think can totally revolutionize you know, what happens on the edge, the types of technologies we can apply and use at the edge, uh, and then how we bring that together. You know, it, it really does lighten up the load on, say, the more traditional networking, both from a bandwidth and a uh, latency perspective. Yeah, having some of those real-time data analytics, like the the stethoscope example that you gave, is that's really interesting to me. Um, less so maybe the the remote surgery. I'm not sure I'm on board with yet. We didn't really touch on that, but that's come up <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, as, so, as a 5G it's, use case. <laughs> it's very interesting. I mean, yeah, we've just uh, we have um, in one of our we have a venture capital fund, and we've just invested in a startup that's just done exactly that. They've taken the stethoscope and they've said, well, the stethoscope has not changed in 70 years. Mm-hmm. And so they work with the Mayo Clinic and the Mayo Clinic actually has a very, um, you know, a, a very uh, well-established um, heart unit, um, cardiac unit. And they have a massive database of recorded, um, you know, heart, heart sounds, I guess. And oh, so wow. they're doing that pattern matching and they start to say, well, yeah, if I can put a stethoscope in the hands of, it's not necessarily even a doctor, but a um, yeah, qualified nurse that sits in a rural area, and I can connect them, then I can actually enrich uh, and provide a much more accurate outcome. And it's, it's just, I mean, you just think about it, and it's just amazing that you can then you know, use the data and, and enrich uh, and just benefit uh, everybody. Uh, yeah, to me, there's, and when you read the, the, the piece we did on the disruptive stuff, or the disruptive mm-hmm. technologies. Yeah, the opening one that I talk about is um, data. Data becomes the center of the universe. Now, I don't think that's news to anybody, but what we are seeing increasingly now is how we use that data. Um, and, and, and so critical for people to get that data platform. You get your data platform sorted out, get the data architectures, make sure you collect the data. Even if you don't know what you're going to do with it, you'll figure it out. But don't let data, you know, lo- don't lose data. Um, and, and I think once you get that right, when you start looking at all these conversa- these use cases, they become very real. Um, and I'm very excited with what I think we're at that cusp of a major breakthrough because in so many cases we've had, say, just pure connectivity or bandwidth or latency being a stumbling block to, to, dis- to, to make sure that all these rich technologies become a lot more available to, to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we'll be getting there. I think technology is really getting there where, where that breakthroughs happened. And I think um, it's it's very exciting for for basically any any vertical. I think we're at that point where it, where it, the, the floodgates will open and and it's just going to be a lot more access to all these wonderful things. I appreciate what you said there about 
um, taking it all into context because like it isn't just the connectivity piece. It has to be the edge processing. It has to be how we use the data. And it has, like you said, it has to be the availability of the data, you know, the, and, and the right data. And once you put all that together, it really does uh, kind of uh, open things up, I guess, for for all kinds of industries, as you've, you've already highlighted a couple of really interesting examples. Uh, um, uh, well, thanks so much. Um, I, I, I think for, for the interest of time, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Um, what we will do is link to your uh, piece in the show notes and make sure that folks uh, have a chance to pick up there. And then, of course, we will have you back uh, sometime in the future and make sure that uh, uh, we can maybe d- uh, drill down into uh, one or two of these topics even more. So uh, uh, thank you, Mr. Rainika, for your uh, time and your insights today. I do appreciate it. Paul and Kelsey, thank you very much. Really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And uh, Kelsey, thanks for juggling this endeavor along with all your other uh, <laughs> sideshow side responsibilities. <laughs> like uh, line training. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, also want to thank our production crew, Pierre and Tien, as they are often left uh, sweeping up the spotlight. And uh, thanks to you, dear listener. If you weren't paying attention, we wouldn't be able to get away with doing all this at work. Uh, everyone, please tell a friend to subscribe. Bring a few more people into our inner circle, our big top, if you will. And we will see you next time on the Light Reading Podcast.